God, as we saw today, had been willing to use Saul if he would have just been obedient, would have recognized that all that Saul had was of God. If he had just recognized everything that he has, if we recognize everything that we have is of God, your house, oh, no, 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 I work hard for that, your job, oh, no, no, I got that. Did God point you in that direction? Is anything from the Lord? See, God wants to be consulted in the decisions of your life so that you can have an amazing life. Having abandoned God's commandments before battle, the victory of Saul's attack against the Philistines came at a heavy price for Saul. God publicly rebuked him. Whenever we are rebuked by God, it is our opportunity and responsibility to humble ourselves before him and submit again to his direction. If we become so self-willed that we no longer depend upon God for everything in our lives, we stand in danger of losing those very things that we're fighting for. In today's message, Pastor Mark will exhort us to rely on God for everything and always keep His commandments. God will always work mightily through our obedience. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13 with today's edition of Come Alive. A lack of communication breeds assumption. So Saul assumes that Samuel's not coming, but we know that he is. If you go back to chapter 10 of 1 Samuel and you look at verse 8, we see here that it says, You shall go down before me to Gilgal. That's Samuel talking. You shall go down before me at Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you and offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Now, this is God's representative. If Saul would have just waited, if Saul would have just waited, if he would have just had the patience, if he would have just waited, if we just wait on the Lord then sometimes we'll be shown what to do. So his army was basically evaporating, and for all he knew, the enemy could have attacked at any moment. Uh, let's give Saul some, a little bit of help here. Hey, these guys could have attacked at any moment. He was scared, so how can we blame him for acting as he did? Well, here's a lesson in presumption. Only a priest can offer a sacrifice, and Saul knew this. Saul knew that. In chapter 10, verse 8, what we just read, he was told by Samuel. It's a directive from God. And when we disobey those directives, well, see, Saul wants to give an impression that God is with him. Because why? The people are scattered. And so a lot of times you will hear people say, well, don't let your people see that you're afraid. You know, the only time I don't do that is I don't let my children see when I'm kind of afraid or worried about something that could really upset them and cause them to kind of panic. So, But we do let them know that, hey, you know what, we're a little worried and we're taking this to the Lord, but we're, we're taking it to the Lord. We trust that he will get us through. We don't run around in a panic. And so because there was no communication with God, there was this, this assumption, that lack of communication bred this assumption that Saul thinks, hey, it's okay for me to do this. And again, Saul wants to give that impression that God is with him. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but where's my priest? He isn't here. He's not showing up, and the pressure is on. 
The pressure's on. I got the enemy at the front door and all around us. And there's a lot of them. And I've got only 3,000 men, God. Why? Why do I only have 3,000 men? Saul, you chose. You didn't consult. You decided to play in the gray area of freedom and liberty. And you didn't think anything bad would happen from that. And now, something bad is about to happen. So the sacrifice is offered. Then Samuel shows up and busts him. And he's like, dude. So I was like, dude, Samuel, people are running away. They're freaking out. I have all this pressure. I had to do something. Three excuses. If you're taking notes, here's his three excuses. One, people are running away. People are running away. Number two, pressure from the Philistines. Number three, you're late. Samuel, you're late. So how's that work for our lives? Well, dude, I'm losing all my friends. All my friends. I I became a Christian. I'm losing all my friends. I got to do something. And then the pressure from outside, peer pressure. Come on, bro. Really? Seriously? You're really trying to do the right thing? Come on. You you know you're going to blow it. The Bible says we're all sinners. Might as well sin. And then, Lord, help me. It's in God's timing. And we're like... You're late. You're late, God. That's why I did it. Yeah, I blew it because you were late. Listen, this is for us. This is for us. When you're in your life, if you feel the pressure is on and, and, and your thought is, you know, what you're doing was the, the best thing to do, and you maybe a prophet or a pastor or somebody shows up and nails you, you know, because you, you've blown it, you've done your own thing, a foolish thing to do, let me just give you this. And I've learned this the hard way. A foolish thing to do is to sit there and defend yourself when you're guilty. To try to justify what you've done when you're guilty. Oh, this is why. This is why I did it. I have a reason why. Uh, You know, you have an excuse. And and an excuse is, everybody knows the definition, right? The shell of a reason stuffed with a lie. The shell of a reason stuffed with a lie. Saul should have just said, man, you're right. My walk with God is at best a slither. And, and I haven't prayed to God about any of my decisions for a long time. And, and you know that, you know, you know what that first verse says, Samuel. It says, I didn't do anything the first year. I really didn't do anything. I did this in fear. I did it in impatience. Can God please forgive me? If Saul would have said that, I think God would have worked with that. And you might be thinking, well, how do you know, Mark? Well, take a look at verse 13. It says, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. And for now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Whoa. Think about that statement for just a second. If you would have just done what God asked you to do, he would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now... Well, he's got to go out and look for a man after his own heart. He's got to go find a little kid named David hanging out with a bunch of sheep. And I'll establish his kingdom forever. Think about that. Because God had greater plans for Saul. That's how I know. He had greater plans. He has greater plans for you. But yet, we tend to, ah, oh, no, Lord, I don't know. That's, that's not for me. I'm not that kind of, you know, I can't. I don't want to go over there and talk to them about you. How do you know? 
if you haven't prayed about it? I mean, is it really, if you're praying, is, is God really saying, oh, yeah, it's okay, Mark. Don't go to your neighbors and tell them about Jesus. It's all right. I mean, does he really say that to us? I mean, who does he say that to? Would have forever. It's kind of like, oh, Saul, that could have been your dynasty. Look at verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. What's happening? What's happening here? God is saying, this is what I gave, and now I'm removing it. This is what I gave you. I had plans to give you this whole kingdom right here, but you know what? So I gave it to you. I got to take it back. It's mine. It actually belongs to me. I was just letting you manage it for me. But man, bro, you've done such a poor job with it. I'm taking it back. This should scare every single one of us in here. In the sense of fearing God. Now you're thinking, well, he's not going to take back his salvation. No. He won't take back salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But you know what? You could live a very poor Christian life. Just think about what God has planned for you. You don't know. Saul didn't know. He didn't lay it out for Saul and say, hey, but but, but Mark, wouldn't that be fair? Wouldn't that be cool if you just let me know? Then you would be doing it because you were trying to achieve something. It'd be another check off. How is that faith? See, when you walk in disobedience before the Lord, everything, position, preference, pay, power, and privilege, it's up for grabs. It's up for grabs. Uh, what's it saying? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Well, that's what's happening right here. See, God has blessed you with these, well, you and I, you have so much going for you, and, and, and you have to see that. He's a great God. We all nodded our head when we said, yeah, God could do anything. He could defeat these Philistines with the 3,000. He could do that. Well, if he could do something like that, just think, put yourself in their sandals, standing there going, oh, man, look at all those people. But we've got God on our side. If Saul would have just consulted with the Lord, I'm sure with 3,000 people they would have won. I'm sure with four people they would have won. With one person, they would have went, oh, you're going crazy, Mark. Not with one. David, a slingshot, a little boy, and a rock. A slingshot, a little boy, and a rock. And what happens? He knocks this big giant in the head, cuts off his head. And who winds up running? The Philistines. Was David outnumbered? No. You're a majority when it's you and God. It's a majority when it's you and God. See, Saul's attitude is kind of like, man, I got so much going for me. Look what I got because of me, because of what I've done. I'm always amazed when people lose it, when people lose stuff. They begin to cry out to God. But when life is good, they tend to turn from him. They turn their back on him. It's like, hey, I got this one, Lord. I got it. 
I don't need that much prayer. I only needed to pray a lot when I didn't have a lot. But now that I got a lot, well, I don't want to bother you with my how good things are going. It, you know, I just don't want to kind of be that braggart and all those people. No. You know what? It's better to sacrifice something for God. What about your will? Take from me, Lord, those things. Take from me those things that you want to teach me lessons through. Sometimes I pray that prayer, and I'm amazed at what gets removed. Because sometimes I'm like, man, Lord, I, I meant that prayer, and, and, and I, I totally, I, I want to learn those lessons, but man, that's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson of trust and faith. And so when we say it's mine, we poorly represent God. So he's saying, Saul, you, you've picked your own army. You chose to do things unfairly by attacking and, and doing an ambush on these Philistines. And you have gone as far to offer a sacrifice that only a priest can offer a sacrifice for. And you went against my commands. And now I'm, I'm an abomination even to the Philistines. I was trying to win a few of those guys over, Saul. But now I'm an abomination to They don't want anything to do with me thanks to you and your... Well, if you would have just prayed, I'd have probably let you know that, you know what, let's go and try to win a few over, get some guys to surrender, come to our side. We could have won them over for me. I would have gotten some glory. You would have won. Your kingdom would have been established forever, but no, you did it your way. And so now, well, could this be possibly happening in your life, in my life? I mean, we have to look at this and say, well, what's this mean for me? How do we apply this to my life? Maybe you're attacking someone's sin. You have a friend and you're just attacking their sin. You're ambushing them. Instead of saying, you know, I just want to love on them and not beat on them. Uh, is there prayerlessness in your life? Maybe you, you, the Lord is saying, hey, don't attack that sin. Just pray for them. Love them. And then later on when you build that bridge, when you get close enough, then you can kind of nail that sin to the cross. Help them realize it. Look at verse 15. And then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah. Of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Oh, what happened to the 3,000? Well, they were scared. Uh, those yes men, yes, Saul, we're here with you, bro. We're going to stand with you. Well, a lot of them took off. Now he's got 600 guys. Uh, once you've been rebuked and you don't agree, are you still going to look for somebody to side with you? That's what Saul's doing. He, he's been rebuked. He doesn't agree with the rebuke. He, he made excuses. And so he's like, okay, who's with me? Because I need that support. I need my pride fed. See, God, as we saw today, had been willing to use Saul if he would have just been obedient and would have recognized that all that Saul had was of God. If he had just recognized everything that he has, if we recognize everything that we have is of God, your house. Oh, no, 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 I work hard for that. Your job. Oh, no, no, I got that. Did God point you in that direction? Is anything from the Lord? See, God wants to be consulted in the decisions of your life so that you can have an amazing life. So you can have one of those lives where people look at them like, dude, you've got an amazing life. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be the superstar life. He, he doesn't want you to just have a life that you just kind of eke by and squeak by. Man, he, he, he wants it to be an amazing life to where when you walk by, like those muscle cars or Harleys with loud pipes, that you feel it. 
And you turn and you look and you're like, whoa, now that's a car. Now that's a life. See, you don't need a lot of money and you don't need a lot of stuff to have joy. When I went to Africa and we drove down the road, we'd see people, little girls walking with big buckets of water on their head where like two adults had to help them lift it up. And they'd just walk and they'd smile. They were just so happy to have fresh water that day. Every day they'd walk down to a well. They'd invite you into their house. You'd sit on a dirt floor. And whatever they killed out in the yard, you ate for lunch. And they praised God that they had food that day. And they were so full of joy. And I come back to America, and the first thing I hear is one of my friends complaining about how his hamburger wasn't cooked right. It was culture shock. So you can't have a healthy relationship by giving the other person in that relationship two to three hours a week. Think about if you did that in your marriage. If you only just gave two hours a week, how how great would your marriage be? Or maybe your kids, you only spend two hours a week with your kids, and you're like, well, I'm doing that. Well, stop. Stop. Don't do that. Look at verse 16. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped at Michmash. The raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road of Ophrah, not Ophrah Winfrey, to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road to Beth Haran, and another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. And now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all of the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. Here's where it gets silly. Remember the ambush and how God says, now you've made me an abomination to the Philistines? And we talked a little bit about how he maybe wanted to win a few over. Well, the Philistines were in the Iron Age. The Israelites, the Hebrews, were not. They were still fighting with sticks and stones and maybe brass at best. And so for them to have any kind of good weapon, they'd have to go to the Philistines. And so here, they walk down to the Philistines and say, hey, bro, we're about to go to war with you. Can you sharpen my pitchfork? And then there's Bubba with his shovel. Yeah, I'm going to tear you all up with this one. It's like, hey, bro, you don't even have a good enough weapon. (laughs) And, oh, by the way, since you ambushed us and you didn't give us opportunity... We're closed. We don't serve your kind. Good luck with the battle. Have fun with it. Hey, and you with the shovel, start digging your pit. (laughs) Or you're going to be in it. So the scholars agree that the Philistines had some serious weapons. While the Israelites, a bit behind the times. So they were the blacksmiths. They would help the Israelites in a neighborly way by sharpening their tools for them. Yet Saul attacks in an unfair way. So now they think that it's going to be cool to go ahead and have the Philistines sharpen their tools. Oh, man, this is bad. It's not looking good for them. Look at verse 20. 
But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines and sharpen each man's plowshares, mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, and the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were there with Saul and Jonathan. But they found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to pass to the pass of Michmash. So 600 men with farm tools, shovels against 30,000 on the other side of the valley. And they all go down. Why? Because of one man's pride. One person's pride. We're foolish to think that our sin has no effect on anyone else. That would be foolish. And pride is the worst. When you take a stand and think, oh, man, but, you know, I know. What will people think if I do this? Well, just think. You're going to probably bring down some people. Pride can destroy a business. It can destroy a family. It can destroy a church. It can destroy an individual. It can destroy a lot. Because what pride does is it makes God your enemy. Remember, God gives and he takes away. He took away. Hey, Saul, you could have had this, bro, but this is what you did because you decided to act on your own. And so we have to be very careful that we do not act on our own. We have to be very careful that we consult God in all decisions, especially those freedom and liberty decisions that we think we have. Because you know what? It may be permitted, but it doesn't mean it's always the best. What's the best? would be to do it the way God wants you to do it, to further his kingdom. If you say that today I'm going to do something and it's really not furthering his kingdom, but I do have a choice, I could choose this or choose that. I could choose to further the kingdom or not to further the kingdom. The best thing would probably be choose the thing that's going to further the kingdom. Because God's going to allow you that time to relax, to rest, to have comfort. And you know what? If we consult God in all things and follow and are obedient, man, you're going to have an amazing life. But if you don't, well, if you don't, we talked about the if clause. If you don't, he could take things away. Can he remove your joy? Sure he can. You can't lose your salvation, but you can have, you could be a saved person with a, you know, just a lost life, walking around wandering, wandering. Wonder what I'm going to do today. I'm so bored. I don't have anything to do. Hey, serve me with all your heart, mind, and soul, and I promise you'll see what happens. And it, and it becomes contagious to yourself when you do it. So who are we? Are we our own people, or do we belong to God? You may be familiar with David's story in the book of 1 Samuel, but did you know he was just one of many important characters from the verses of this Old Testament book? Many people's lives are intertwined to bring about God's plan, even some who weren't following their creator. God used each person to pave the way for David to ascend the throne and ultimately to bring about salvation for the entire world through his line. Today, you may be a David in your own world. God may be calling you to huge things that will take you to potentially dangerous but ultimately wonderful places. On the other hand, you might be someone God is using to prepare the way for another or to support them in their role. This doesn't in any way diminish your importance. Wherever you are in life, you can be demonstrating God to the world. 
If you'd like us to pray for you as you seek God's will for your life, please give us a call. We can be reached at 281-391-5503. That number again is 281-391-5503. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other editions of Come Alive, we'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. Find us on your smartphone app store or subscribe on iTunes. You'll receive up-to-date teachings as soon as we make them available. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time to continue studying through 1 Samuel right here on Come Alive.